when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So That Happened is sponsored by Bolin Branch, purveyor of fine bedding that make every night's sleep the best night ever. In fact, Bolin Branch is so confident you'll love their sheets, they will let you try them completely risk-free for 30 nights. And if you order right now, they'll give you 20% off your entire order. Just go to bolinbranch.com and use the promo code HAPPENED. So That Happened is sponsored by Bonobos, who invite you to experience style without the hassle of shopping. Now you can get 20% off your first order when you go to bonobos.com slash happened. That's B-O-N-O-B-O-S dot com slash happened. This podcast contains explicit language. So That Happened. This week, we're talking about diapers, not because... We're opening a babysitter service, though any interested party should, by all means, make us an offer. No, we're talking about diapers because for the poorest parents in America, a disproportionate amount of their household income is spent on procuring diapers. Here to talk with us about a solution to this problem is California Representative Barbara Lee. Meanwhile, over in Paris, world leaders are meeting in the hopes of hammering out some further agreements to allay the threat of climate change. And the mood, believe it or not, is hopeful. But don't worry, I'm sure we'll find a way to inject some of our trademark pessimism into the scene. Finally, it's good to be a big bank for sure, but it's honestly not so bad to be a little bank either. We'll have the incredibly true story of how the biggest winner of the highway funding bill isn't a road or a bridge, but rather an obscure bank that you've never heard of, but who've got enough lobbying clout on Capitol Hill to walk away with a fat sack of cash. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone-Lopez, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Lauren Weber. We'll also have the latest from the Campy Campaign Trail, but here's what happened first. Hey everybody, this is Jason with a brief addendum to today's show. Uh, owing to some recording deadlines that we were unable to surmount, uh, we were unable to do a discussion about the big news of this week, which was the mass shooting in San Bernardino, California. Uh, I'm sorry that we weren't able to address it. I will say that it's probably a good thing. Uh, we think it's a serious matter and probably better served by three people who have had some time to think about it and who aren't rushing to the microphones with a um, blend of weariness and hopelessness and anger and resignation brewing somewhere in their hearts. Uh, I will say that we have talked about this on the show before, uh, and not much has changed since we talked about it last time. In this case, uh, your congresspersons uh, were very quick to direct their comms directors, to direct their social media interns, to send some brief tweet uh, with the words thoughts and prayers in it, uh, to assuage everyone's opinion of whether they had thought about this or prayed about it at all. Uh, it's this is what they are good at, and this is what they do. It's a commitment to inaction. Uh, 
masquerading as a sentimental concern for you. Uh, I'm afraid that that's the state of play as far as Congress goes. And I don't think anything has changed much since we talked to Senator Chris Murphy about this. And so we will leave you for the moment with Senator Chris Murphy. I really believe that Congress's silence in the face of this rash of mass shootings has become complicity. Uh, I really do believe that people um, take cues from the highest levels of government, uh, the highest levels of public service, uh, and we are essentially sending a message of quiet endorsement of these murders. And it's not just the mass murders, because those have gotten the news stories, but um, this has been another terrible summer um, in places like Chicago, in my state, in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, where dozens of people are dying without the big national headlines from urban gun violence, um, and we're the only country in the world that looks at this rate of slaughter, um, which is unprecedented amongst industrialized first world countries, and throws our hands up and says we can't do anything. And so I just, uh, I've never been more offended by anything in my life than the uh, absolute, utter um, inability of Congress to even have a debate about how we might be able to do things differently. But I think it starts with gun laws. You're pretty relentless on this issue. You talk about it almost on a daily basis. Uh, and I understand you talk about this in the well of the Senate every chance you get. Uh, I'm curious, what uh, what's the – and you don't have to name names, I guess, although if you want to, I won't stop you. I love people who name names. But um, but what are your – how do your colleagues react uh, when when you talk about this? Is there just a lot of just depraved indifference or are there people out there who are kind of like, oh, you know, I agree with you, but, you know, I'm too much of a coward to do anything about it? I mean, they probably wouldn't admit to you they're a coward, but you know what I'm talking about. Is there are people indifferent? Are they hostile? Or are they just like, kind of like shrug? I can't, I can't help you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember that we did get 55 votes for the background check bill in the Senate, so we didn't get a filibuster-proof majority, but we got a majority. Maybe we have a few less votes today. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that there's a, um, there's a belief that under the current Republican leadership that we're not going to be allowed to have that debate. So I think a lot of folks are just uh, acceptance of the status quo, given the reticence of McConnell and Boehner to bring a real debate like this to the, to the House and Senate floor. But, no, I have a lot of people who come up and pat me on the back, a lot of attaboys, um, uh, more from the Democratic side than the Republican side. And you know, my hope at this point is that we can just have some debate that will help. So that's why I... Do those people... Let's do a mental health debate, at least. Sure. But do those people patting you on the back and giving you attaboys then show up and vote your way? Yeah, I wish there were more people down there on the Senate floor actually speaking about it and... Um, I don't quite understand why, you know, I'm the only one who goes down to the floor on a consistent basis, given the fact that it's dominating the headlines. Um, so listen, let's admit that the NRA is more powerful than, than, than I certainly thought at the beginning of the San Diego debate, and that there are a lot of Democrats who believe that the NRA stamp of approval is some proxy for their conservative or moderate Democrat credentials. And um, we've you know, we, we, we've got to deal with that, and we've got to build up a political constituency around um, anti-gun violence efforts that's just as powerful as the NRA. And 
and, and, and maybe that, when we do it, um, will motivate folks to come down to the floor and join me. Everybody, welcome back. I am here with my two good friends, floating disembodied head, Arthur Delaney. Disembodied voice. Disembodied voice, Arthur Delaney. <laughs> and poor man who lives in a tent. In the studio. Just unzip the tent, waking up for a great weekend of podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jason, I hear you have some big holiday travel plans. Do I? I don't have. Heard, any... heard you're going to Cuba on vacation. No, no, no. Jason. Okay, yeah. So, so we're we're all we're all kind of we're all kind of remarking how this week, um, this week for some reason, Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, for some reason he was in Washington D.C. to do this chummy little political playbook breakfast thing with Mike Allen of Politico. He was so cranky, and it was. It, it's like Wonder literally why he's so cranky. It's literally the easiest thing any politician will ever do in their life. And somehow Rob found a way to be mad when when Mike Allen opened the questioning by saying, so, you know, you talked about backstage about how you and your family are going to Cuba. And Rob Manuel was like, OK, well, I think thanks for talking about my family. You had a private conversation with me and now you decided to make that public. I really don't appreciate that. Number oh, one, I, I really don't. I didn't, That's I my family. That wasn't no, no. It, you asked me, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do this year? So I'm expressing to you now publicly my displeasure. Can you give me my your cell number because I'd like you to listen to Amy. Uh, I apologize for that. And it's not, that I don't know if you know this. It's not gonna work. Thanks for dropping the dime on what my family's gonna do on vacation. And then he was my like, wife's my, gonna gonna eat you alive, Mike Allen. <laughs> yeah, give me your phone number so that my wife, so that you can be there when my wife screams at me. <laughs> yeah, damn you, Mike Allen. And I was just like, whoa, you know what? And, and Rahm Emanuel is like, was like, we take our kids to see the world and then list like all these places they've taken the kids. And I was just like, cool, man, you're rich. You're rich. That's the story. The story is Rahm Emanuel is rich beyond imagining. Well, why is he so and cranky? And his kids did to do some cool things, and yet he's still angry about it. He's something, angry about it. Something it must like, have happened to Rahm in the last bugging week. Rahm. Oh, well, I don't understand. What? Okay, so I think I know what's bugging Rahm. I think I know. I think I know. Is that... He's the mayor of Chicago, and Chicago's imploding over the Laquan McDonald story. Oh. Ah. The person who was executed by police last year, and they suppressed the video evidence that showed it. Suppressed video evidence. (laughs) Potentially may have destroyed other video evidence. (laughs) Took took video evidence from a McDonald's. Burger King, I believe. Oh, sorry. It's a Burger King. I'm sorry. I don't want to mix up the fast food restaurant. (laughs) So the, the Chicago city government covered up this egregious, probably one of the most egregious shootings of an African-American for no reason in the last uh, couple of years. Right. It's not that Rahm Emanuel's just a Grinch. He's <laughs> having a hard time politically. And he fired his uh, police chief uh, th- this week and said, you know, we got we to have someone's becoming a distraction. We got to have uh, thought leadership. We, we, we got we to have a, a, you know, a change in leadership. We got to hold people accountable. And it made a lot of people think, huh, <laughs> it's funny. 
if we're going to hold our leaders accountable, who does the police answer, the police chief answer to? Like, who's that guy's boss? You know, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to think, who is the police chief's boss? And I, I just came up blank. So I guess. Could there be a more ridiculous choice for a mayor of Chicago right now than Rahm Emanuel? Just Former wondering. Freddie Mac director Rahm Emanuel. I mean, uh, who was on the board of Freddie Mac in, during a major accounting scandal. This is before the financial crisis. He sat on the board that was supposed to, you know, watch out for the major accounting scandal. And he made over $300,000 on that board. And the accounting scandal happened anyway. And then he was like, oh, well, I guess I'll run for Congress now. <laughs> no, no, no bad things happened to him. <laughs> and he served in the Obama administration. And then he left. He's like, I'll be the mayor of Chicago now. And everyone was like, all right. <laughs> and that happened. <laughs> and everybody's like, huh, maybe he's not a very good mayor. <laughs> maybe he covers up for cops who execute black people for no reason. The interesting, I think, well, his, his storied career makes it all the more resonant. He's a, a Clintonite, uh, a good example of the sort of corporate Democrat uh, that Bill Clinton branded himself as. And, yeah. and that has really been uh, uh, a core part of the Democratic Leaders yeah. in Washington, they call themselves New Democrats, uh, and there it is. There it is in Chicago. Just the sort of guy you want presiding over a city that's been undone by redlining and racism. Especially if you are Hillary Clinton and you're running for president, and you just don't you 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 don't want lots of problems. Uh, I, I would say I you know I've I've followed Ron Emanuel's career for years, and you know he he became very very wealthy after serving in the Clinton administration. Very wealthy. I mean the, the, sure. the Freddie Mac money is is only a small portion of. I think he, he made something like sixteen million dollars essentially on Wall Street after being in the Clinton administration, and it was my first real um, experience with with. A, a person who just goes from being what seems like a pretty good Democrat public servant to being the crazy, crazy rich, crazy rich. And then then once going back into office, pursuing very corporate friendly policies, I've been very critical of him throughout his political career for that. But I did not expect him to be in the middle of a, a cover up scandal over over police murdering people. I just it never it never in my wildest dreams that I think that it would be this bad. Um, I'm really stunned and maybe, and I shouldn't be, that's, <laughs> that's naivete on my part, but I'm just stunned. Well, I, I hope he has a decent vacation. Right. Well, you know, I'll just say I grew up, I grew up in a, in a family where my mom is from, uh, Hammond, Indiana. My grandfather was a newspaper in Chicago and, uh, my mom always kind of laughs whenever someone talks about Chicago machine politics, something that people have talked about because Obama's from Chicago. And yes, the, the vaunted phenomenon yeah, of yeah, Chicago yeah. machine politics. And I think that I, I, my mom would not be charitable talking about this to anyone talking about it, but I'll be as charitable as possible, is that if your inference from Chicago machine politics is Chicago po- politicians are corrupt, that's correct. If you lean too heavily on the idea of machine, this idea that they're an effective, efficient wrecking crew, that's wrong. Chicago politicians <laughs> are bumbling dipshits, and it's incredibly lucky and, and and very fortunate that they've become associated with this notion of a political machine. They are a political jalopy. <laughs> <laughs> they're corrupt, but there's there's their car not, doesn't really drive. They're not even an inclined plane. <laughs> <laughs> as, far as, as far as machines go, they're not even a, a poly. A screw, yeah. They're not even a screw. Uh, they're they're very bad. Um, remember Rod Blagojevich? I do. I will always remember classic. 
cowboy cowboy poet Rod Blagojevich. But we have to not talk about Rod Blagojevich. Uh, Rod, you should come on the show and let me make fun of you. Um, but we want to talk about the highway bill. Yeah. How in hell? Speaking of things that are corrupt. Yes. Yeah. The great segue <laughs> into corruption. Um, I understand that uh, uh, we, we've talked about the highway bill and how uh, it is a thing that banks have have sort of decorated like a Christmas tree. In a sense, yes. I, and that has become even more apparent this week. So what's what's interesting about the highway bill, which, you know, the, the, the reason people like the highway bill in Washington is because Democrats and Republicans are voting for infrastructure spending. So there's hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure spending. It's going to pass. So as a result of there being a bill that might actually pass in Washington, this doesn't happen very often. Every interest group in the city, every lobbyist is like, okay, what can I get out of this highway bill for me? <laughs> and the, the interesting thing it, it, with, with the fight so far. Everyone's like Oklahoma Sooners. Right. Yeah, stuff, right. stuff hops on there like a flea or a tick latching onto a deer as yes. it frolics <laughs> through the woods. Exactly. We found a blood source. So the idea of the highway bill is fine, right? <laughs> Fix roads and bridges. Not a problem. Uh, what what has happened though? It, it, you know, it's passed the Senate, it's passed the House. They're putting together their final package. That they've they've gone to conference on a bill. They never do this. Usually, when there are bills that are there's a different version of a bill, they go to conference. They haven't done this in forever because it's so hard to pass things. So they went to conference. They have a final bill now. It's got to pass both chambers, be signed by by the president. Um, maybe maybe in, enacted already by the time you hear this. Um, the the what what took place here is that Democrats had to fight Republicans in the conference committee on a whole host of favors that would have been really destructive to Dodd-Frank, the financial reform law passed in, in 2010. They were going to try to change what the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau looks like, how it operates, make it much, much more difficult for it to function. And Democrats effectively fought, all, fought off all the major Dodd-Frank writers. But Republicans kept coming and saying, no, we want more bank stuff. We want more bank stuff. And the bank, the, the, the sleaziest, grossest bank writer that I could find in the bill is a, is a single term. It changes around some dates so that one bank and one bank only, no other companies are affected by this, Emigrant Savings Bank, which is headquartered in Manhattan, will be exempt from some parts of Dodd-Frank's restrictions on, uh, on operating with excessive levels of borrowed cash. They're called capital requirements. Right. It, it, it basically juices Emigrant Bank's capital levels, allows it to operate with higher profit ratios. Emigrant Bank is not a huge bank, okay? It's like, it's like a $11, $12 billion bank, something like that. If it fails, it's it's got less than one percent of the assets of J.P. Morgan Chase or, or or Bank of America. It's a it's tiny in in the in the, the the sort of firmament of major financial institutions. If it gets too reckless with borrowed cash and fails, it will not get help. Okay, so there aren't really big implications for the financial system. The thing is, there aren't really big implications for the financial system for Congress just saying, you know what, Arthur. You know what, Jason? I just want to give you like ten million dollars. That would be awesome. I just want to do that. Here you go. Why don't you just take ten million bucks? Just, just have it. That's not going to wreck the economy either. The reason they gave this 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 favor to Immigrant Bank is not because they were just sort of listing all the people who should get millions of dollars who are the most worthy in America. It is because Immigrant Bank is run by a billionaire family that has given thousands and thousands of dollars to to New York State political races over the years, but particularly to four senators who happened to be on the negotiating team putting together the final highway bill. Ron Wyden, Chuck Schumer, uh, Richard Shelby, and Sherrod Brown. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think the Democrats in that committee were trying to fight off some really bad stuff. But, you know, when a guy's giving you 10 grand, 15 grand, you know, <laughs> and it's not really going to do that much damage now, to the economy, Zach, why not let it slide? Th that's, you know? uh, if we're looking at all the 
blood-sucking baubles on this Christmas tree of legislation, that's like one of the little ones up top. This thing has the Axiom Bank brought back to life mm-hmm. after its charter expired in June. <laughs> it should have been liquidating the portfolio. It saves crop insurance, which had been cut in the big budget deal that passed at the end of October. Now, this is something that Republican leaders promised they would do. Both Republicans and Democrats who do agriculture demanded that crop insurance be replaced. Even though, and the reason it's a target for fiscal conservatives, who are real serious about fiscal conservatism, is that agribusinesses are, like, really big and successful. (laughs) They don't need the government subsidizing special insurance. (laughs) <laughs> but so it's it's the description of this bill as like a uh, a frolicking deer and, and a Christmas tree where and things get tacked to it. Is, uh, those are both apt metaphors. That's what's going on here. There's a frolicking deer, but yeah. look, but, the, reason, things but the reason they're helping they're helping farmers, so so called farmers. I mean, they're helping giant agricultural corporations with the crop insurance program is the same reason. That they're helping Emigrant Bank, right? It's because there are very wealthy special interests that have good lobbyists in Washington who are connected to the process. Not because these are the most pressing issues facing the American right. economy and this is the best way to deal with them. Right. <clears throat> well, I mean, it must, be, it must be good to have that kind of power and connection, whereas I probably wouldn't be able to get a congressperson on the phone. Actually, you, you probably could because you are a member of the media, the elite Washington, <laughs> D.C. media. I believe uh, off, the re- had... off the record, Congressman, could you please slip a line item? In yes, I, I really think I really <laughs> think use ten point, million dollars. We may as well just see every time we interview a congressperson, we may as well just say, hey, by the way, could you give me five million dollars? <laughs> could you just write the 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 Jason gets five million dollars? Act into into law. All people living at such and such address between dates such and such shall receive, right. you know, such and such subsidy. <laughs> All right, we. <laughs> Merry Christmas! Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> everybody, it's Christmas time, and if you're like me, it's going to be a busy season of social engagements and family commitments, or you'll be sitting at home drinking wine alone. But to get through whatever it is, you're going to need some sleep. Thanks to Bull & Branch, you don't have to. Great betting makes a better bet, but if you had to head to a department store, you're going to find yourself forced to pay gigantic markups for sheets that are probably not even that great. And who knows if department store sheets are even made in some sort of ethical environment. With Bull & Branch, you're not going to have to worry about your betting being made in some terrible trade deal-enabled sweatshop. And you're not going to have to worry about spending your money on middlemen, marketing, or markups. Here's the stuff you need to know. First, you can only get them at bullandbranch.com. So you know you're paying for their quality sheets and not for a bunch of overhead. Second, these sheets are made with entirely organic fair trade cotton. And third, three U.S. presidents sleep on Bull and Branch. I don't know about the rest of the world and their prime ministers and such. Hopefully they're getting a good night's sleep too. Maybe their country's problems stem from the fact that they're not. Anyway, sleeping on Bull and Branch sheets will make your day perfect. And Bull and Branch is so confident you'll agree that they'll let you try them completely risk-free for 30 nights. And here's where it gets even better. If you order right now, you'll get 20% off your entire order. Just go to bullandbranch.com and use the promo code HAPPEN. That's right, 20% off your entire order by going to B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com and using the promo code HAPPEN. And we're back. 
Once again, we're back with Zach Carter. He's Hello. Snapping his fingers. And we're joined by our, 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 our friend, Laura Barone Lopez. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? I am excellent. Uh, as excellent as I could be. Or should you say excellent? Uh, no. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh my God. powerful, powerful powers of segue there. Also a French <laughs> word, I guess. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in Paris. For once, we're not going to be talking about terrorism going on in Paris. That's right. But we're talking about one of the ways in which uh, Paris is trying to uh, try to uh, step forward after the tragedy, which is they are hosting a series of very important climate talks. It's very important to people who mm-hmm. believe in anthropogenic climate change. And uh, they are not important and ridiculed by idiots. Uh, but Laura, you've been watching. Uh, you've been watching uh, the, the what's been going on in Paris during the climate talks this week. Uh, obviously, the big news of the year has been President Obama and uh, his counterparts in China uh, came to, a, I guess you can call it a historic agreement to to jointly reduce their carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Winning that concession from China was seen as a massive step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they building on that in Paris? So the whole point of Paris, which is a meeting between almost 200 nations, uh, is to get all of these global leaders um, to agree to a somewhat binding uh, deal that would make them uh, craft strict commitments to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions um, and then even go beyond that. So make sure that they constantly come back to the table to update those targets post-2020. And so that's what, um, you know, the administration is hoping will come out of these talks, that they'll be able to sign um, this landmark agreement. It'll be the first time that, you know, developing nations will also be a part of it. And then another important aspect of this talk is the United Nations Green Climate Fund, which is something that Republicans in Congress are trying to attack right now. And what that does is all of the developed countries, so like the U.S. and China and France, uh, are putting billion-dollar or million-dollar pledges into this fund to then help uh, poorer countries you know, respond to the threats of climate change like drought, like rising sea levels and other extreme weather tied to global warming. We... Um one of the things that uh, we, has been talked about in terms of uh, Paris and, and is that there's been a, there's been an ambitious goal set mm-hmm. uh, to keep emissions down to a level that it keeps the temperature warming uh, from rising above two, two degrees, degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond what should be normally. Yeah, two degrees. Um beyond pre-industrial levels. So it's trying to, you know, make sure that we don't increase the global temperature past that because it would be pretty catastrophic if we do. Right. Um, Although, you know, officials have admitted and scientists have admitted that it's going to be really hard, even with everything um, that has already been committed, that countries have committed to doing, you know, whether it is, um, you know, curbing their coal usage or their natural gas usage um, and, 
transitioning towards cleaner energy that we likely are going to hit that two degree mark. Right. This, this, I mean, avoiding climate change is sort of like it's, it's one of these things that would have been relatively easy if we had if we had taken a gradual approach in the 1970s. But now that, you know, <laughs> you're seeing glaciers melting and parts of the Antarctic falling into the ocean, mm-hmm. um, it's it's going to need there's going to be need to be something very, very disruptive that, that happens in order to take that is going to have to take place in order to actually curb those those types of figures. And it seems like certainly in the United States, there is very little political will to do that. I That's think right. maybe in other countries like China where they have to live under like horrible smog in Beijing mm-hmm. and, and Shanghai all the time, there is more sort of public uh, agitation in favor of, of better is. environmental controls. But the governments there are, are also – I mean we, we, have a, we have an accord with China, mm-hmm. with the United States. But even that is you – know, I don't think the, the terms of the deal between the U.S. and China are going to save us from that two-degree that two degree mark, right? No. So that's you know what this whole – this massive summit which uh, started – uh, earlier this week and goes until December 11th is all about it's about you know getting private company you know private companies involved to put more money to create technology that they think will help in the longer term to get you know all of these um, environmental groups involved to get anyone that they can basically in each country to try and further this agenda of anywhere that we can you know limit emissions anywhere that we can improve um, the energy sources that we're using then we need to do it and so um, Obama you know even though he has to deal with a Congress that is unwilling to work with him on this he is was pretty confident this week, uh, you know, explaining to other countries that he isn't worried about Republicans pushing back on him. And his whole argument is that, look, even if a Republican were to come into office after him, that they're going to face a lot of backlash if all of a sudden they try to, you know, cut ties on some of these deals that Obama has made because the rest of the world, I mean, you have the, you know, the president of France there, you have uh, President Z of China there, you have... India's PM there, you have all of these global leaders, uh, you know, across the world dedicating time to come to this summit and dedicating, you know, the resources to say, look, we legitimately see climate change as a problem, so we're going to do something about it. So the optimistic take on this is that, first of all, uh, as far as technology in the marketplace goes, we're in the middle of a sort of green energy or clean energy revolution. The mm-hmm. cost of going solar has never been lower. It's only getting cheaper. The cost of ramping up wind power is, 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 is going lower, never been cheaper. So, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 
there's all these great market incentives to invest in clean energy and, and something like this fund you described would be a massive way of directing money to the right places and to the right purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people say that, yes, this post-Paris, we may not walk out with a set of agreements that keep us below that two-degree uh, goal, but it would be a solid step on the way to doing that. Yes. To me, it seems like uh, solving anthropogenic climate change through policy, it's like a window you have to hit. You're headed, you're, you're on a trajectory, you got to hit the open window in the right way at the right time. Do you feel like we're, I, obviously you're not a scientist, so you can't really answer this, but <laughs> man, based upon what you're hearing man. out of Paris, are people optimistic that we have still time to hit this window? So that is definitely, I mean, time is a factor and that is something that they're talking about a lot in Paris. And so what they're saying is that, look, we have to do it right now. Paris is our window, the window that you're talking about. If we don't come out with an agreement that is strong enough and then also come back to the table, you know, every five to 10 years to make sure that we're hitting more ambitious targets, then, okay, yeah, we've missed the window. Um, But if we do what they set out to do in Paris and they accomplish it, then it's like, all right, we're now heading on that path. So here's why I'm really pessimistic about this. Okay. Um, The voice of pessimism. Yeah, life is pain. Um, While the Paris talks are going on, um, an environmentalist group called the Sierra Club uh, issued a report (laughs) analyzing the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And they pointed out a few things about TPP, which are going on. Uh, TPP is this big trade deal that Obama has pushed. It eliminates tariffs on carbon, uh, on coal. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of tariffs left on coals, but still it gets rid of the, what those that exist. Uh, it encourages fracking and the distri- distribution of natural gas, uh, another fossil fuel. And it also encourages the sh- a shifting of manufacturing activity from the United States, where environmental standards are actually relatively high by global standards, mm-hmm. to other countries that have much lower environmental controls. This is all happening while Obama's going around saying, hey, we need to, we need to save the, the, the climate. We need to, need to save the planet by dealing with climate change. When it comes to a geopolitical slash economic thing that Obama thinks is really important in the United States, even Obama is going around doing things that are counterproductive on climate change. And then he knows are, are counterproductive. And it seems to me like if, if, if that's, the, if that's the, the strong leadership we're getting from people who care about this, it's going to be really hard to tell other countries, hey, since you've agreed to this, you now have to live up to this commitment on other types of areas, even when it conflicts with your own economic interests, because even the Obama administration is not willing to do well, that. Well, I understand well, I that, get... but don't you think that the, the bigger force keeping <laughs> keeping climate change agreement is the Republican Party who who have migrated from a from a from a party that used acknowledged to have that it was yeah. acknowledged that it was something that was happening to yeah. now strictly denies it. I mean, uh, Jonathan Chait put it pretty well this week. He says the Republican Party boils down to a group of people who are either climate-denying thought police or people too terrified of what the climate-denying thought police will do to their careers mm-hmm. to speak out against them. I mean, yeah. I agree I that's a bigger problem. My, my, point, is, my point is that the, the good guy in this, in this scene that we've just painted is, has some pretty serious flaws here. Sure, I sure. Think, I think I, it's going to be very difficult to get, to get this agenda done. No, and I totally agree with you on that. Yes, Obama acts against you know, his larger climate change agenda Uh, from time to time. But I also think that you can't expect the whole world to then shift away from fossil fuels like that. It's going to have it's going to have to be a transition. And then especially because the transition to cleaner energy sources does put a strain on lower income families and, you know, lower uh, 
poorer nations. And so that's what this whole, you know, the climate fund that I was talking about is a big deal because then that would help those poorer countries who need that aid. They can't do it on their own. They need the help of U.S. and other, you know, industrialized nations to push this forward. And I think that Obama has done a lot more than any other president before him in finally making this a bigger issue. And so that's why you see, you know, in the Democratic primary that this is something that they're talking about regularly and they didn't before. And um, but, yeah, I think that uh, Republicans are the biggest obstacle right now, although that seems to be shifting a tiny bit. I mean, there are a few more Republicans in the last two years in the House that have decided that they are going to, you know, buck their party and say, hey, look, we actually agree with Democrats and that something needs to be done on this. everybody. Every guy wants to look their best, but life's too short to spend all this time and effort going through the traditional hassles of shopping for quality menswear. Maintaining a stylish wardrobe should not be a baffling ordeal. And this is something the folks at Bonobos know all too well. And they've spent a lot of time figuring out a way to kick your style up a notch quick without adding a lot of drudgery. Take it from someone who's used Bonobos' website himself. What they've got going on is a simple way to shop for clothes that blend traditional style with some modern edge. Bonobos takes the pain and hassle out of finding stylish clothes that fit. From shirts and sweaters to pants and accessories, Bonobos has clothes for any body type, any fit preference, and you can easily browse online through top quality styles in your home. When it comes to shipping, Bonobos keeps it free and easy. And if you ever end up with something you don't like the look of when you try it on, Bonobos practices a no-hassle return policy with personable and fast service. And if you live near one of Bonobos' 20 guide shops, you can walk in, get personal service, and try on everything you want before you buy it online. Shirts for the office or the weekend, suits that fit like they were tailored just for you, pants, jeans, jackets and outerwear, right down to ties, belts, and shoes. You'll look stylish, you'll feel comfortable, and you'll actually enjoy the shopping experience. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off their first order when you go to bonobos.com slash happen. That's B-O-N-O-B-O-S dot com slash happen. Discover the difference that an expertly crafted, better fitting wardrobe can make. And we're back, uh, once again, joined by Arthur Delaney. Uh, sometimes a little thing can make a big difference. And when it comes to lessening income inequality and helping our friends and neighbors out of bad circumstances, finding those little things can go a long way to f- making the big challenge of income inequality a little more surmountable. And here to talk about one such idea, the Hygiene Assistance for Families of Infants and Toddlers Act, we have representing the mighty East Bay of California, Representative Barbara Lee. Barbara, Representative Lee, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this bill and the change that you hope it can uh, bring about to uh, families in need. Yeah, I think uh, first, let me just say a lot of people don't really realize this, but one in three families uh, really struggle to provide uh, basics for their children, especially diapers. And this lack of access to diapers causes illnesses among small children and oftentimes forces families to make difficult decisions between diapers and other household needs. When you look at food bank clients, for example, 48% of these are low-income individuals. They say that they really delay diaper changes. You know, and because they just don't have the money to buy enough diapers, and 32% have reused disposable diapers. This, of course, increases the risk of illnesses in the child. 
currently, our SNAP funds cannot use be used for diapers. Those would be a, a food stamp funds, right? Food stamp, SNAP funds, food stamps, and TANF public assistance funds. Uh, they're really insufficient to cover diapers and other household needs. So, you know, women and families have to make choices. When you look at diaper costs, they're 70 to $80. Uh, and part of our strategy to lift people out of poverty is to, is to find ways to do that. And this is quite a, a simple way to do it if we provide the grants to the states to create demonstration projects to evaluate strategies to help people with their diaper needs. It seems pretty simplistic, but of course it's not. Uh, but it would help tremendously to get um, help lift people out of poverty. Uh, Congresswoman Lee, when someone has a baby, she can't work, and then there's the cost of taking care of that baby, including $70, $80 a month in diapers. Why does this country heap economic punishment on new parents? Well, it's not only the lack of resources to buy diapers uh, if you're low income. This is a systemic problem overall. When you look at 47 million people living in poverty, many people are working two jobs and still live below the poverty line. That's why, as chair of the Task Force on Poverty, Income Inequality, and Opportunity, we're looking at a variety of legislative initiatives to help uh, reduce and eliminate poverty. And so it's not only the whole issue around diapers. This has to do with poverty and inequality and the systemic problems with regard to, to our own country not really living up to its promise of justice for everyone. When you look at the 1% versus the 99%, and when you look at the minimum wage, just, just trying to get to $15 an hour is very difficult. In many states, we're trying to raise the minimum wage here in D.C., can't even get the Tea Party to raise the minimum wage for people who are making uh, less than $10 an hour. So it's outrageous. Just to give our listeners an idea of the extent to which this really is a uh, a sort of uh, top percent versus the rest of the country situation, I have some information from the uh, Center for Economic and Policy Research, and this is really striking. Um, the uh, bottom 20% of, cons- of, of consumers spend 13.9% of their income on diapers. That is parents within the poorest quintile of the economy. Uh, it's The next poorest quintile only spends 5% of their money on diapers. Uh, it's, it's, it's the cost of diapers uh, is so much that if you're poor, it's a real gigantic chunk of your available income. And to me, it's not just about giving people a little bit of money back, but it's also about uh, restoring a little bit of dignity where it's where it's necessary. I, th- I feel like a lot of times when we talk about uh, anti-poverty programs, we talk about them in terms of wealth redistribution, and that raises the specter, oh, we're giving free stuff away. I, I feel like what all we're doing here with a program like this is maybe just helping people live lives of dignity. Sure, we're talking about dignity. We're also talking about health care needs of these children. And we're also talking about what the Yale School of Medicine found, the correlation between diaper needs and maternal depression. So there are correlations between uh, diaper needs, the the fact that the dignity uh, of people, you know, regardless of their income, should be cared, you know, should be upheld in our country. We don't do that. 
And this, once again, a lot of people don't realize this, but this is a, present, presents a real hardship for families when they uh, don't have the cost. Uh, I think seventy to eighty dollars to buy diapers for their children. Uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, uh, this legislation has a lot of Democratic co-sponsors. Uh, I, I wonder if you have any sense that uh, Republicans might be receptive to this. Well, let's hope so. I'm going to always try to keep hope alive. This is simple. It, they should do this. It doesn't cost them any money. It just, you know, really probably on the back end reduces health care costs. It's cost-effective. It, it helps mothers and, and fathers to uh, really be able to go out and do the things they need to do to help their family. But, you know, when we look at the fact that they won't support uh, paid family medical leave, they won't support an increase to the minimum wage, they won't support uh, universal preschool, they won't support child care, you know, they don't support anything that helps lift people out of poverty into the middle class. I'm hoping maybe this is one one bill that they might sign on to, but... Who knows? We have to wait and see. Their their values are very uh, different, you know, in terms of priorities. Hey, guys. We'll get back to the program in just a second. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome all of you into my safe space here. To thank all of you for tuning into the show and helping us to create an Inside the Beltway show for Beltway Outsiders and make it a reality. We love hearing from you. Your feedback has been such a tremendously good, positive influence on us every week. Now, you can help other people find out about this show that you're helping to build. If you are an iTunes user, please look for our show. Subscribe if you haven't. And use iTunes' widgets to rate our show and to leave us a comment. It will help people like you find this show, and we can keep building what we've got going together. So head on out to iTunes, subscribe, rate, say hello to us and your fellow listeners. Thanks so much, guys. And now, here's something else that happened. And we're back. We're joined now, once again, by Arthur Delaney disembodied voice of Arthur Delaney and our good friend, Lauren Weber. Oh, hi. Uh, Lauren's present here means that we're probably going to talk about 2016. Probably just maybe like a little bit, like a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Once again, the swelling scene of our presidential election and it goes on way too long and everything is stupid and bad. Uh, But this is the, this is the week where I think, it's weird. It's really not the week where this happened, but this is once again a week where a distress signal was sent out by the Republican Party. There was a flare that went up. Yes. They keep doing that. Yes. I, I feel like there's, there's been a lot of there. flares and we nobody's up, coming. We picked yeah. up a distress like signal. Tom Hanks on Castaway. Save your flares. <laughs> we picked up a distress signal from the Republican Party and answering the call were the Washington Post and the New York Times, both with fresh, fresh dispatches on how the institution that is the Republican Party does not know what to do about Donald Trump and they are worried that they are fucked for the near future. Which, like, is not new news, but, you know, I appreciate, not new news. I appreciate the reiterating of it, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> no, it's it's really rather crazy. Uh, the, there's now a genuine worry among, among establishment Republicans that 
they are not going to get an establishment Republican to the across the goal line to the nomination. Well, well, the problem is, too, is even if you don't have Trump, there's Cruz just sitting there waiting to pick up the pieces. I mean, right. it's like a double. It's like, you know, the worst of two evils. Like what, you know, what what do you want here? Right. We can now kind of I think we can now sort of firmly establish the fact that the guy who's run the shrewdest race among those who actually have a foot in politics as insiders. It's been it's been Ted Cruz. I think we saw this coming a few debates ago. Uh, but I think that he's obviously played the shrewdest bet now. What's weird about Donald Trump is that he's not actually running for president. The entire theory of a Trump presidency that he's pitching on this campaign is that he would just be great and all the <laughs> obstacles toward tyranny erected by the founding fathers of this country would be obliterated. He's running for king. And the people, who, and the people who love his ideas about how he will, through sheer greatness, do whatever he wants, I think must not really like the United States of America as it's laid out in the U.S. Constitution. They probably don't. Like, you don't, you know, you guys don't want a president. Yeah, one of the things I find very fascinating, and, 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 and I'm not even sure we can even talk about the Tea Party as we used to. No. Um, but I don't even know it, what that looks like. It, it was many years ago that we were told that the insurgent force in the Republican Party was this organi- organized grassroots group that were against bailouts and they were against state power. Statists, down with statists. It now seems that the insurgents on the Republican side really prefer a guy who was bailed out multiple times in his business (laughs) career and is willing to use the state power to do anything, whatever he wants. wants. But Jason, but Jason, you know, it's, it's all about someone who's outside of the evil force that is government. It's true. That's, that's, that's that's what we're missing here. That's the deal. It's true. It's true. It's true. It it takes that kind of vision to be uh, someone who will say, I will use the Oval Office to enforce a strict, no one can say happy holidays policy (laughs) as Donald Trump has, has chosen to do. I think Ted Cruz has definitely played the shrewdest hand though, because he's talked about being an outsider, but he's also talked about taking the fight inside that's been his senate career that's how he gets that's how he gets over on having a senate career in a world that seems to prefer someone who is has completely not spent any time on capitol hill he has risen in the polls as a result of his shrewd campaign and he's you know competing with trump now as ben carson has faded and the the backlash is already incredibly entertaining. Frank Bruni had a story this week. Yes, that was in great. And he just recounted all the things people who've worked with Cruz say about him. And they're all real nasty. Yeah. Going back to the college roommate who says anybody. <laughs> the college roommate. Someone so from great. a phone book would be better for president <laughs> than Ted Cruz. Institutionally, Republican insiders don't like Cruz, and especially Republican senators don't like Cruz. Which is perfect. The thinkables, the unthinkables coming thinkable solely because Donald Trump exists. Let's remind, let's it's remind everyone true. that Ted Cruz this week in the wake of the Planned Parenthood shooting was an abysmal human being. He talked about how uh, how the <laughs> how, how the the shooter was a transgender Democrat. Uh, he talked about how uh, uh, Democrats were were the people who commit most of the violent crime. No one on the Democratic side was was trying to suggest that like Republicans commit violent crimes. Uh, he went there though. He also he also 
sort of likened the entirety of birth control to just rubber availability. The availability <laughs> yes, of condoms. That was insane. Women need the to chill because there are rubbers everywhere. Great. And it's just like women with endometriosis can't chill because a guy can wrap his jimmy. Uh, it's a completely different situation. But as bad as that is, as bad as that is, it's not so bad when you have when you have Donald Trump. Insisting. I mean, it's looking preferable. I mean, it, but here's a question: Do we think the Marco Rubio rise in the polls is here to stay? Do you think he's a viable contender? Did he quite rise, or is that still something in the wings? No, I mean he's he's over Cruz right now. He's at like seventeen percent. Well, in, in the some, latest in, in some polls, in some polls he's over Cruz. In some polls he's parallel. He's parallel, and that's kind of remarkable because as Marco Rubio has, has like schlepped around seeking a billionaire bundler to back him. Cruz has gone out on his own and raised a shit ton of money. Cruz has a ton of money. I mean, yeah. he's got the evangelical wing just waiting in the he's wings. He's done for great. Him. He's done great. People, you know, he can actually talk about his faith in a way that's not offensive, unlike Donald Trump. And can I also say something that Cruz can talk about? Yeah. Cruz can talk about winning a primary. That's true. Cruz can plausibly talk about winning Iowa. He can perhaps plausibly then start to talk about winning New Hampshire. What state does Marco Rubio win? That's a good question. Florida. Florida. He he's in the back in the peloton in Florida as well, Uh, and that's the thing. Florida's pretty soon. He might get to Florida having won no states, and if he doesn't, then take his home state. Where's where do you continue to justify keeping his candidacy alive? That was from, that was. How, do you, how do you come? justify keeping half of these candidacies alive? I mean, like well, that's I mean, a good question. We haven't talked I mean, about. We're at fourteen people, man. People are getting I mean, rich. I, <laughs> Lauren, let let it go. <laughs> let it go. I yeah, know. lots of people are getting rich. Ben Carson's people. All they're these shaking, people. Shaking, they're shaking. They're they got the they're, consulting they're, money got, pit. Uh, people houses races. are being erected yeah. on the shore. I got uh, some. I got respect for Ben Carson's grift. Okay, because the people we're gonna. Ben Carson, they literally got voters upturned by the ankles. They're shaking coins out of these guys, okay? <laughs> like, Carson's grift is good. Motherfuckers working for Carson today are going to be living fat tomorrow. I got respect for that. It's nonsense, but it's but I got respect for it. You know, uh, but, you know, you, of course of course, you have people down at the bottom here, Gilmore's. I mean, I don't even count Gilmore anymore. What, what, what's, what's the take on this whole Chris Christie rising in New Hampshire? What I mean, is this just a political narrative that we all kind of want to spin because it's interesting? Do you want me to go find out how Chris Christie's doing in New Hampshire? I mean, yeah, his his numbers are abysmal. Okay, so this weekend... We're the, talking about a newspaper endorsement. Yes. Is like the basis of that story. It yes. is the basis of that story. I'm, a, a I'm just throwing it out there. And I then a newspaper from New Jersey was like, you think he's great? <laughs> Well, he's not. <laughs> a newspaper. And that's the story. It's not. It's not a that durable was phenomenon. Funny. That was pretty funny. I wrote that story. It was pretty great. Uh, yeah. The um, the uh, the uh, um, the editor of of the Star Ledger in in New Jersey actually called up the editorial board editor of the Union Leader and God, was, I love newspapers. And was literally like Defa, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and 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 he came away with the story, which was that the Union Leader, when they endorsed Chris Christie did so either not knowing or willfully ignoring everything about Chris Christie's record in New Jersey. So, of course, they liked him. Small things. You it's, know. It's, I think there's a low ceiling for him, and anytime he seems to be getting somewhere, he will encounter a low traffic ceiling. problems. Can I just say, <laughs> let's, let's look at Chris Christie. In January 2015, 
at the beginning of this year, Chris Christie was somewhere around, uh, you know, 8% in the polls, 9%, oh, 10%. What, what beautiful days for the Christie okay, campaign. Okay, so Pretty good. he has risen to 5.1%. How'd he do that? Honestly, tireless, that's, higher, that's higher than I thought it was going to be. Tireless work in New Hampshire. Tireless work in New Hampshire has taken him over the course of the year from about 10% to about 5%. That's even with our viral video of him talking I know. about, about drugs. So definitely, definitely want to hand the endorsement to that. But So that moment of I, humanity didn't, <laughs> but didn't let, beat uh, Donald Trump on Alex Jones. What's, no, what, what's it did actually, not. What's Shockingly. Actually, What's actually more interesting about what the union leader did wasn't that they endorsed Christie, is who they chose to slag in their endorsement. And there were three specific people that they held out for slagging. One was Marco Rubio, who they compared to Obama, the young, inexperienced senator. One That's the was, new critique of Marco Rubio. We'll see if it sticks. Right. One was Fiorina, the, the well-meaning person from the private sector who has got no public skills. And one was Donald Trump, the guy who talks out of his ass. Now, here's what's remarkable about this. They don't come out and say, Rubio, Fiorina, Trump. It's all implied. <laughs> then they turn around and say, what we like about Chris Christie is that when he, he says what he means, he's outspoken and he doesn't, but he, we do. he doesn't mince his words. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> but we do. Here at the Union Leader, we mince those words to a fine, fine dicing. You can put it in your salt shaker and the minced words <laughs> can be spread upon the meat of this review like that. It was like, do you even share the value? I mean, don't be a punk, man. If you think Marco Rubio is, is, is not the guy, put his name in the street. You want to, do it. Put his name in the street. Just do Union it. leader. Live free or die. Union leader. What's going on on the Democratic side? Nothing much, right? Nothing. I, Hillary came out with some good polling numbers, though. There were she some did. Good, the, and, there were some good matchup numbers. Some emails came out, and it was just the same routine where they were, like, kind of funny. But yeah. I want to say... They were like, yo, Hill, we can hit a lot of countries, you know? Like, we can, we can travel to a lot. That's, that's basically what happened. I want to say that uh, the last time we had the occasion to talk about Hillary Clinton, uh, we were wondering what she was thinking invoking 9-11 to explain away why she'd received so much Wall Street fundraising. And we talked about how, wow, that went over like a lead balloon, that answer. People were like, ew, that was gross, Hillary. That was seriously, seriously gross. And we mused about how it was, how it was you know, obviously not something she improvised, uh, that it wasn't a, a mistake that someone coached her uh, to say that, that this was something everyone agreed in the Hillary campaign. It was, oh, yeah, it would be great to mention 9-11 there. So you'd expect Hillary Clinton, having taken it on the chin, for that comment in the debate to now completely back away from ever saying that again, right? I guess. Yeah, she's well, saying it again. Does she not yeah, listen you, to our you, podcast? You, she doesn't, apparently. Oh. She does not take she our doesn't. advice? No, no. In an interview with, uh, in an interview with Charlie Rose on CBS News, uh, she said once again, I've stood for a lot of regulation on big banks and on the financial services sector. I also represented New York and represented everybody from the dairy farmers to the fishermen. And so, yes, do I know people? And did I help her build after 9-11? Yes, I did. No, she did it was not. Like, it was weird. It was like a tick. It was like a tick. It, we got to mention 9-11. This is some straight Giuliani shit, right? 
I just, uh, almost. Nine, noun verb 9-11. Come on. Come on. That's, a, that's <laughs> yeah. the ancient criticism of Giuliani, and you got Clinton doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. That's a little bit of an odd, just like word vomit in the middle of that answer. Like, I represent dairy farmers Giuliani-esque. and 9-11. Yeah. What? Like, what? I don't understand. I, I, I just think as, a, you know, I'll say, hey, that's gross. Stop saying it. That's gross. Stop saying it. How's that? That's good campaign advice. Pretty good campaign advice. Good campaign advice. You could you could earn a house by the shore with that. Okay, uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. I will send you an invoice. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Adriana Usera with Peter James Callahan, with technical assistance from Christine Canetta and spiritual guidance from Caitlin Boguki, who, believe it or not, is named after the Caitlin Instagram filter. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by Congresswoman Barbara Lee, as well as Huffington Post reporters Laura Barone Lopez, Zach Carter, Arthur Delaney, and Lauren Weber. This podcast was sponsored by Bull and Branch. Head out to bullandbranch.com and use the promo code HAPPEN to get 20% off the best betting you can buy. This podcast was also sponsored by Bonobos. Go to bonobos.com slash HAPPEN and just be a few easy steps away from a stylish new wardrobe and take 20% off the first order. So That Happened is available on iTunes at itunes.com slash so that happened. Check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store while you're there. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to so that happened at huffingtonpost.com. As always, we're very thankful to all of you for listening, and we miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.